Paul, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so I stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Judea and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if it's anything that's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the very bread of life that you've delivered to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Well, before you get real good and settled in your seat, one more time, turn around and turn across from me and just tell somebody good morning. Hallelujah. Amen. We are so glad that you guys are here. Um, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, it's so good for us to uh, understand what happened last week. And we saw so many testimonies. And I've been getting testimonies over this last week of people who were touched and who were healed uh, in our service last week. And so thankful to Jesus for his hand and his presence um, in our meeting. You know, we studied, um, we actually began a study on victorious living. And we talked about uh, just overcoming various things and the fear of death. And um, uh, last week, uh, Brother Christopher didn't know this. I didn't tell him what my theme was. But he talked about overcoming our thought life on Sunday morning, kind of getting control of our thoughts, taking those things captive, which those are so important. And I'm gonna, I'd already had this plan, so I'm going to take that a little bit forward uh, this morning and just add some more meat to that. I want to talk to you this morning from the subject of overcoming anxiety. Somebody say anxiety. anxiety. Now, I want you to know something. I, I, I read a post on Facebook this week from a dear friend of mine, and, I, and I, I believe I expressed to him my differences of opinion. But he made a statement. He said, um, people should stop preaching um, these self-help messages like overcoming fear or overcoming this and just teach people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that'll fix all their problems. Well, the spirit of Jackie Chan came upon me, and I wanted to take my right hand of fellowship and salute my brother in love because we're friends. But here's the thing. If the Bible didn't want us to talk about it, somebody who was spirit-filled, the Apostle Paul, would not have wrote chapters upon chapters of how to deal with fear and how to deal with anxiousness because I want you to know something. It, our, our personhood, we are body, soul, and spirit. We have a mind. We have a will. We have emotions. We've got flesh. We've got all of these components to our human life. And listen, the Bible is a self-help book. 
Hello, somebody. And I want to I ask the question, if you can't get help from the Bible, where can you get help from? The Bible says, why are you cast down my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Help in God, for he is the health of our countenance. We're to look up and lift up our eyes to the hills from which comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. You and I have to look to the word of God. And as I'm uh, just living this life as a, as a shepherd among sheep and a sheep myself, I'm, I'm looking as the Bible tells us that the Lord is my shepherd and he desires to lead us into green pastures and lead us beside still waters. And God wants to, as a shepherd, lead us to a place of security and safety. But yet I see so many people deal with anxiousness in their lives. You know, I, I looked at some statistics and uh, from a very reputable source. I have those available to you. But as we were looking at that, here's, here's what I found out, right, concerning anxiety. It said that young people in the United States, specifically young adults, continue to be more likely than their older counterparts to be experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression according to the latest federal data analyzed by the KFF researchers. So here's what the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey found. It found that uh, half of all adults, so 50%, uh, between the ages of 8 and 24 reported anxiety and depression symptoms in their life in 2023. So here's, here's what this looks like, right? In 18 to 24 years old in this survey, 18 to 24, 49.9% of this age group is saying that they experience stress-related anxiety on a regular basis, okay? Now, this has all come in an age of an era of pandemic-related school closures, remote work, job and income loss, all of those things which may contribute to this uh, particular attack of the mind, which, by the way, we are body. We are soul, we are spirit, right? Now, we have our spiritual life, we have our flesh, which affects our physical man, and then we also have our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I want you to know something this morning. God not only cares about our physical healing, he cares about our mental health and our spiritual health, amen? And we've got to stop um, we've got to stop making it a taboo subject when people are struggling because God's word has the answer to help them in every single aspect of their lives. Amen? So uh, young people, according to statistics, are struggling. Then it goes on from 25 to 49. It says 38% of people between the ages of, of 25 and 49 are struggling with these types of thoughts. Then age 50 to 60 is 29.3%, right? Uh, um, 50 to age 64 is 29.3%. And now get this, ages 65 and plus is 20.1%. So what that means is, is as people are getting towards the end of their life, it, it doesn't mean that they are, are not experiencing anxiety at all, but they're realizing now, I just don't care. Hello. How many of you know when you get a certain age, you just don't care anymore? You don't care, you don't care, you don't have a filter, you say what you want to say, you do what you want to do, you go where you want to go. I don't care. Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. But the truth is, is that a lot of people are dealing with this anxiousness in their life. And here's what I want to tell you, Christ doesn't want us to live that way. 
He doesn't want us to live in a perpetual state of biting our fingernails off and, and, and sleepless nights, turning upon our pillows where we can't sleep, worrying about what tomorrow may hold and, and things of that nature. Because uh, one of anxiety's first cousins is fear. And fear, when it's not uh, dealt with in our lives, it stops us in our productivity. It stops us from moving forward. It stops us from having hope and a future, and being able to do what God has called us to do. And so I want us to look in the Scripture this morning to see exactly what the Bible has to say about it. Now, Philippians chapter 4, as we look in our passage this morning, we're looking at the words of the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned, um, was written in uh, house arrest, sometime probably in Rome around the, uh, the years of 61 or 63 A.D. Now, I want to tell you this. Paul himself if he would have wanted to, would have been qualified to write a novel or an autobiography on anxiety and fear and whatever. This dude was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. Um, going back to his early ministry, he wasn't believed by his, uh, his comrades. He, the early apostles didn't trust him. All types of things. But yet... Removed from the context of house arrest in Rome, and you read the book of Philippians, you would think that the Apostle Paul was on an island somewhere or on a cruise ship with his feet kicked up with a non-alcoholic fruit drink. Hello, somebody. I said, yeah, because saved folks ain't supposed to be sipping saints. But okay. Uh, with an umbrella, right? And he's drinking. Uh, and Because he writes things in Philippians chapter 4. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do you know it's easy to say that when the sun is shining? It's easy to say that when all your kids are firing on all cylinders. (laughs) It's easy to say that when you got some money in your bank account and the numbers aren't in red. It's easy to say that when your business is in the black. It's easy to say that when you and your spouse aren't fighting. But what happens when life goes sideways? What happens when things don't work out like you thought they would? What if when the marriage fails, when the diagnosis comes? What if, what if the, 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 the finances and jobs and contracts aren't just like you want them to be? Can you still say, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. See, Paul was not psychotic. Neither was he schizophrenic, but he knew something that we all should know this morning. Are you ready for this? Peace does not come from the absence of problems. Peace comes from the presence of God. Did you hear what I said? Peace does not come from the absence of problems. Peace comes from the presence of God. Here's what Paul was basically trying to tell us. I know that I'm in this jail and I'm bound to my home. I know that I'm a prisoner, but as long as he is with me, I can say rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is with me always. And listen, Paul in the middle of his struggle, Paul in the middle of his stress was able to lend a hand of encouragement to those at Philippi to tell them about the life that he was living. So I want us to look at this again. Can we do this? Go with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, and let's just work our way back through it. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, 
my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. He's encouraging those that he's writing to. Then he says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, notice this, help those women who labored with me in the gospel. Do you know the apostle Paul was very favorable when it came to women in ministry? Don't take one verse in Corinthians and make it out that he wasn't. Paul was very favorable to women in ministry. He said, help those who uh, labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Then notice this. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, are noble, are just, whatsoever things are pure, are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, then meditate on those things. Then the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. As we're looking through this passage this morning, I want to I hone in on a couple things that I think help us. Notice we're talking about overcoming anxiety this morning. I want to look at the very first thing in our text. Number one, look at this. We see the command. We see the command. This is found in verse number six, the verse part of it. Here's what he says. Be anxious for nothing. I want us all to repeat that this morning. Read it aloud in your Bible. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter uh, number four, verse six, the first part. Say it with me. Be anxious for nothing. I want you to circle or highlight the word nothing in your Bible. The word nothing in the original language, not being sarcastic here, it literally means no thing. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. It's not a suggestion. It's a subtle command. Be anxious for nothing. Why does he say that? Well, let's look at the definition of anxious, can we? Here's what Webster's Dictionary says, and I think that they may have this definition on the screen for you. Here's the, the definition of anxious. It says, experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Let's read it one more time. Experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Let's be honest this morning. How many of us have done this before? We allow our hearts to be anxious about circumstances. We allow our hearts to be uh, nervous, if you will, about some impending event that is happening, that we are uncertain in our brains what the outcome may be. Many times we go into anxiety because we have a problem with control. We can't control the outcome, so then we become very anxious about it. i tell you, if a person has never experienced the clutches of anxiety, they really have no idea what they're talking about. 
Now, there are levels of situational anxiety, which we maybe have all done with. It's, it's normal to be anxious at your wedding, amen, the nervous butterflies. It, it's, it's normal to be anxious at major transitions in life. But uh, this is not talking about necessarily this normal type of stuff, but it's the anxiety that rules our lives. God doesn't want us to be ruled by those things. When I was 18 years old, part of my testimony uh, when I was coming back to Christ is I was working in this uh, aluminum factory, and I was working swing shift, and I was working two weeks of days, two weeks of the evenings, two weeks of graveyards, and, and I was playing music with this band, and we had recorded a demo, and we were playing different places of venues and, and uh, things of that nature, and I was trying to work all day and play all night, and I was working around machinery and worried about, you know, doing something to injure myself. I was sawing pieces, drilling holes, and mass production, and I wasn't living for the Lord at this point. I had not yet come back to Christ, but a, a co-worker had uh, suggested that I take some pills that would help me stay awake. And so I took some, and uh, it didn't help. And so about 30 minutes or so later, I took some more, and it didn't help. And I took some more. Little did I know what I was taking was called truck stop methamphetamine. And all of a sudden, about 30 minutes before I was to get off my shift in the evening, uh, I'm still sleepy. I'm still tired. I'm worried about falling asleep. So they uh, had turned off the coffee pot in the break room. It was cold. They had it set up on the top and had a brand new pot uh, going for the shift that was coming in. So I took a 20-ounce cup and I filled it up all the way to the brim, cold. At this point, I was not a coffee drinker because, you know, when I was a teenager, we thought only grandma, you know, drank coffee. Starbucks wasn't a big thing, you know, until I got about to be about 24, 25. And so, you know, coffee, you know, my grandma and grandpa, they drank Folgers and they got up at the crack of dawn. And I said, well, you know, that's not my thing, but it seems to keep them awake. So let's try it. So I grabbed my nose, I turned my head back and I, and I downed this 20 ounce cup of cold, bitter coffee, got in my car, began to drive down the old country road when every one of those pills and all of that caffeine hit my system at once, I pulled over to the side of the road at 18 years old, feeling like I was about to have a heart attack. It felt like two elephants were sitting upon my chest. Now, thank goodness, I'm dating myself, but these were the days before we had uh, cell phones with cell phone contracts and limited calls. But I had purchased a, uh, a Virgin Mobile prepaid phone. Hello. And uh, anyway, and so I had enough minutes to call my mom. I was still living there at the time. Bonnie and I had not gotten married yet. She came, picked me up, took me to the hospital. And anyway, I want you to know something. I felt like I was going to die. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And I want to tell you something. For the next five months, debilitating anxiety attacks in my life. Now, if you've never had an anxiety attack, they're nothing to play with. They were so bad, they cost me my job. Because as I graduated high school, I got on with the company, and I, I was on a, hired on a 90-day probation. And how many of you know in those 90-day probations, they can fire you for anything legally? And I remember one week, I missed like four or five days of work. I went to the doctor. They could not find anything 
wrong with me. But all of a sudden, I'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, that same panic, that same fear that I felt on the side of the road, it came, boom, just like an 18-wheeler all over again. Five, six times a day. It got so bad that I was afraid to eat because I was afraid that I would be eating in the middle of one of them, and I didn't want to choke to death. It got so bad. And I remember that in the month of September 2001, when I rededicated my life to Christ, the Lord delivered me not only from this sickness and received me back and washed me and forgave me of my, my, my wayward uh, pig pen life, but he took this from me instantaneously. And I want you to know something. From that moment, I have been very empathetic and sympathetic for people who deal with these things because if you've never dealt with it before, it's easy for you to just say, oh, get over it. It's easy for you to just say, oh, well, you should just pray about that. Well, listen, when you don't know what to do, but I'm here to tell you something this morning. The same God that can set me free from those types of things is the same God that can set you free from that today. Because Paul tells us not to be anxious for anything. And he gives us the prescription to live an anxiety-free life. He commands us not to be anxious. You know, Paul wasn't the only one that talked to us about anxiety, but Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew talks to us about anxiety. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. They, they consider the birds of the air. They neither, they neither uh, toil. They, they don't go and do all these things and gather into barns, yet your Father provides these things for them. He says, are you not better than the birds? Are you not better than the lilies of the field? He said, uh, to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and he will uh, provide and all these things to you. But he says this. He says, take no thought saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? He said, for even the Gentiles think about these things. But as Christians, friend, listen, God commands us not to have anxiety about things in our life. He tells us not to worry because we serve a God, my friend, listen to me, who has the answer. He has the answer. Listen, this morning before we leave, I'm going to give you some keys to help you with this issue in your life. We see the command, but here's the other thing. Number two, we see the alternative. And that's also found in verse number six. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. Somebody say everything. everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Leave that verse up there. We see the command, but we also see the alternative. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here, here's what he's saying in everyday language. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. You see, I want to tell you this morning that you can expend your energy. Our energy, our mental faculty is like bandwidth of, of uh, the Internet. For those of you who are familiar with technical things, it's like bandwidth. All of us only have so much bandwidth. And you can choose how to use your bandwidth emotionally. 
You can worry about something or you can then choose to pray about it. Because it is difficult to pray and worry at the same time. Because when we find ourselves in God's presence, he literally helps us with these issues. So listen, instead of worrying about it, we are to pray about it. Notice what he says there. He says, uh, he says but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so here's what some people say. Well, that problem is so little. I don't want to worry God about it. Well, listen, if you're worrying about it, it's not too little. And if you think your life is so big that God doesn't have time to listen to your little prayer, listen, I'm telling you, you have a very small view of our very big God. Because the Bible says he knows the very hairs and lack thereof on our head. He knows the blades of grass in your yard. He knows your address. He knows your P.O. box. Hello. He knows everything about your life. And he simply wants us to call upon him. Why? Because anxiety robs us of our peace. Worrying about tomorrow Let me tell you something. Listen closely. We don't know everything that tomorrow holds. But we do know who holds tomorrow. We know the God of heaven whom the Bible says creates the end of a thing from the beginning. And he's already been into our present. He's seen the end of our days before our first day ever began. He knows all things. Every single thing concerning us, he already knows it. Our life is in his hands, my friend. Listen, you've got to realize today that God wants us to pray about it, but he doesn't want us to worry about it. He wants us to trust him in the process. It's not easy. We all are going to struggle with this because here's what we do. We come to the altar and we give things to God. We give our job to God. We give our company to God. We give our children to God. And then what do we do? Let me, 10% of it, God. Just give me 10%. Give me 10% of it. Let, let, me, let me worry about what my kid's doing in college. Let me worry about this. Let me worry about that. And listen, we have to give it over to Jesus. Let me tell you, he can fix it better than you can. We've got to give it to him. So instead of thinking about our problem all the time, we need to start speaking with the one who has the answer to the problem. We see the alternative. Pray about everything. Maybe your challenge today is this. Turn your anxieties into prayer requests. Take a list of everything that's worrying you. Write it down. People say, I don't have anything to pray about. Do this and you will. Do this and you will. But notice this, though. But notice this. Paul doesn't say just make your prayer time a pity, a, a pity party. And that's what we do a lot of times. 
We go to God like he's Santa Claus or a genie. And we ask for all of our wishes, all of our wants, and all of our desires. And then we jump up and we're like, okay, God, I prayed. No, prayer is, is two, two-way communication. It's you speaking to God and God speaking to you. Okay? But notice this. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, listen, by prayer and supplication. Notice this. With thanksgiving. That means don't let your prayer life be a dump fest all the time. Paul's trying to teach us here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when we go to God, we need to go with thanksgiving. Then notice what he said. Let your requests be made known to God. What does that look like? You say, well, my life's falling apart. This, that, whatever. Listen, go to God with thanksgiving. Practically, what's that look like? God, I know you're bigger than me. God, I know you have the whole world in your purview. God, I know you love my children more than that. You know, that's hard as a parent to realize God loves your kids more than you do. He loves them more than you do. I know you'd be willing to die for him, but he did. God, I know you see my future. You see everything pertaining to me. And God, with thanksgiving today, I'm making my request made known to you. Listen, when we take everything to God, it puts us in a better position. Because look what happens when that happens. Here's the third thing. We see the result. We see the result. We see the replacement. Notice what he says here in verse number 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. So listen, he says, the command, he says, do not be anxious for anything. And then we see the alternative. But with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then we see this uh, result that happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. See, here's what Paul is trying to say. If you want to get past this anxiety stuff, number one, you've got to make a determination that I'm going to put it in the hands of God. Number two, I've got to make a determination that I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to do it with thanksgiving. And the third thing he says will happen, he says the peace of God will come into your life. Friends, there's something to be said about experiencing the peace of God in the middle of a storm. I said a moment ago, and I'll say it again, the peace of God is not found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. When Peter walked on water, it wasn't because the storms were not raging. It was because his mind and his focus was stayed upon Christ. The moment that Peter took his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink. And it's the same thing, friend. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and put them back on our problems, then the overwhelming uh, feeling comes back. Then the anxiety comes back. Then the fear comes back. But if we just keep our eyes on Jesus... That peace of God will come. And here's what he says about this peace. It surpasses all understanding. You know what that literally means right there? 
When a Christian is going through a storm and they've given it to God, they've given their children to God, their business to God, they've given their spouse to God, they've given all those things to Jesus and laid them at the foot of the cross, their health diagnosis, all of these things, and they've laid it at the feet of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about this kind of peace. It surpasses all understanding. That means your unsaved coworkers. That means your unsaved classmates. It means the people in the doctor's office who aren't serving Jesus. It means all of these people, they're looking at you. And they're wondering, like, why are you not falling apart? Anybody else would crack under such pressure. Anybody else would have committed suicide. Anybody else would have ended their life. And you can just literally just tell them, it's not my peace. It's the peace of God. And God gives me a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because listen, honey, if I didn't have Jesus, I would have gave up a long time ago. If I didn't have Jesus driving the car, I would have jumped out a long time ago. But friend, listen, because Jesus is in my life, he gives me a peace that surpasses all of my understanding and guards my heart and my mind. Why does it say the peace of God guards your heart and your mind? Because our heart and our mind are vulnerable when times are uncertain. That's why it's so important to give it all to Jesus. We've got to make our requests known to God. We see the result. Here's the fourth thing. Instead of worry, what do we do? We, number four, we see the replacement. Look at this. Verse number eight. And I'm about to finish this morning. And some of you are going to give some things to Christ today. Eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard, notice this, and saw in me. Paul's saying, I lived this out as an example in front of you. The things that you saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be in you, will be with you rather. Um, we see the replacement. Because here's the thing. Thoughts come. Thoughts come. Pastor Christopher talked about it last week, about spiritual warfare uh, taking every thought captive. We began to talk about it last week in the renewal of the mind. Listen, the enemy cannot read our thoughts. God can. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. The adversary cannot read our thoughts, though. He, the spirit realm definitely hears our words. But he can't hear our thoughts. But what does he do, though? He can fire thoughts to us. The Bible talks about the wicked arrows, the flaming darts of the wicked one. And we're to cast down those imaginations, cast down those high things that are attempting to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in your life. Those thoughts of unworthiness, those thoughts of being unloved, those thoughts of being not good enough, those thoughts of despair and I'm never going to be healed and my kids are never going to do this or do that. All of those thoughts, we've got to replace them. Because how many of you know once you get the negative out, you got to put something good back in their place? 
So Paul ends this little statement here with these words, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Folks, listen, when the enemy is lying to us and about us, and he's planting those seeds in our minds, we've got to reject the lies and replace the lies with the truth. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loved me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have a hope. I have a future. I'm blessed coming in the city and blessed going in the field and blessed coming in, blessed going out. We got to quote the promises of God over our lives, and we have to replace them with the lies of the enemy. But I've got some insight for you this morning. You can't do this with your face in YouTube all day. Unless you're watching good content on YouTube, you're probably not, or or insert Netflix and Hulu or whatever, you're probably not getting good replacement for the garbage that's going into your life all the time, over and over again. But back when I was in youth years ago, we had this little saying, it's corny, but it's true, garbage in, garbage out. What you put in comes out. Why our thoughts are so important. Whatsoever things are true. Notice what he says next. Whatsoever things are noble. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of a good report. If there are any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, notice this phrase right here. Darren, you can come. Notice this. He says, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. One of the most terrible misconceptions in the body of Christ has to do with the subject of meditation. Well, see, when we read the word meditate, our minds immediately go to some Middle Eastern New Age stuff. We think about, excuse me, I'm going to sit down for a second. We think about crossing our legs, holding our little hands like this, and going, hmm. And they tell you, empty your mind. Empty your mind. Let everything go out. Just empty your mind. That's, Christian meditation is actually the opposite of that. It's not the emptying of the mind. It's the filling of the mind. It's the replacing. In fact, here's what the word meditate means. You ready? In the Greek New Testament, the word meditate, it means to mutter. To speak to oneself quietly. To repeat, to rehash. Anybody ever got in an argument before? Let's be honest. Don't agree. You don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. You don't want to incriminate yourself before the time. Uh, you've got in an argument before, right? And, you know, you just kind of took it. You just kind of let it roll off your shoulder, trying to do the Christian thing, you know. And then 30 minutes go by, an hour go by. For some of you ladies, three months go by. Y'all don't forget very easy. And you start thinking, well, you know, I would have said this and I should have said that. And if I was thinking on my feet, I would have said this and I would have said that. And you're rehashing that circumstance in your heart. What you're doing is you're meditating on it. 
You're reciting it. You're rehearsing it. You're rehashing those details. When the Bible says whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are praiseworthy of a good report, meditate on these things. Some translations say think on these things. But the word think there really doesn't encapsulate all the word meditate is because it means to repetitively think about it. And here's what the Lord's just trying to tell us through the words of Paul. When you were anxious, you just sit there and thought about it. You know, let's be honest. We worry about things that a lot of times never, ever come to pass. Get in a fight with your spouse. You're worried if they're going to come home tomorrow. You're worried if you're going to have a job next week. You're just worried about it, 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 and it never happens. Let me ask you a question. What happens with all that time you spent worrying. You can't get it back. What happens to all the productivity? You should have been working, but you... You should have been working, but you... You can't get it back. So rather than allow things that you can't control, which, by the way, this is a word from the Lord from somebody. Some of y'all are worried about people. You can't control people. You can control yourself, though, and we would all appreciate that. But you can't control people. I don't care how much you love your spouse, how much you love your kids, how much you love your job, your boss. You cannot control what they are going to do. You can't control it. You can pray for them, but you can't control them. So guess what? Let's stop worrying about what we can't control. And let's start praying to the one who knows the future. And instead of rehashing the anxiety and the, and, the, and the pain and the trauma, let's replace it with what God says about us. Amen? Replace it with his promises. You know why? Because the scripture says they are yes and they are amen. He is faithful. And he is true. And we got to choose to stand on God's word. Because when we build our house on this, we build our house on the rock. See, because when you build your house on the sand, when the storms come, it's going to be blown over. Even though that house looked good on the outside, you know, people put on a good front. You see them in Walmart, you know, everything's wrong in their life, and you know it is. You say, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> well, you say that, but your house is not built on the rock. And the storms of life, don't sit there talking about, ain't no storm coming to my life. The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. It happens. You know, 9-11, two towers flew into that, two, two planes flew into those towers. You know what saved people died in those towers? People love Jesus in there. 
Sometimes bad things happen to good people. But you can't go to work every day wondering if a plane's going to fly into your building. Hello. Because if you do that, you'll sit in bed, do nothing for the rest of your life. We can plan. Planning is not wrong. We can plan. We can set goals. But we must not worry. Because that is counterproductive to what God wants to do in our lives. I want everybody to stand up with me this morning. First thing I want to ask is this. Nobody, nobody, don't move in or nothing. Just hold tight for a second. Everybody look at me for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know where you will spend eternity, it's the most important thing today. Young people, older saints, nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Life is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. The most important thing before you leave here today is to make sure that you're right with Jesus Christ. So if you're not today, it's so easy. He died for your sin. He hung on the cross. He gave his life for you. Today, he just wants you to call upon him. So if you're here today, young, old, male, female, doesn't matter what, what status you're in, if you don't know Christ or you're far away from him, and today you want to have that peace of salvation in your life where you're not worried about it, today Jesus wants to make you his child.